Warning, this podcast episode may contain explicit content, including swearing, discussion of sexual violence and rape, and other adult content. Welcome to Crow Club, a Shadow and Bone and Grishaverse podcast. If you've been listening, you will know that every episode is full of spoilers for literally everything in the Grishaverse. No TV show, no book, no short story, no novella is safe. We will spoil everything, so this is your warning. My name is JJ. I'm Kat. And I'm Anjali. Today's topic is everyone's favorite pirate, I mean privateer, Sturmhund, aka Sobachka, aka the Two Clever Fox, aka the King of Scars, Nikolai Lansov. Maybe it is worth saying that this episode has obviously been one that we've been intending to do and has taken us a really long time to get to, and somehow we've put it off even longer than the Zoya episode. Why have we been putting this off, folks? I think probably because he's such a beloved character. He is so funny and witty, and he's the the comic relief, but he also very clearly has a good heart. I feel like he's just such a popular character. It's almost scary to try to do him justice. I think that's the most generous reason. Yeah, I've been he I like him so much. It's definitely been nerve wracking to think about what are we going to talk about that will, you know, do justice. And I think there's a little bit one thing about me that I don't know if maybe you've noticed or not, but I do sort of love the conspiracy theories. And I'm (laughs) just not Mm -hmm. sure I have great conspiracy theories about him. Well, he comes in with his own built-in conspiracy theory, right? In the plot of the book that he's not a real Lansoff. And then it gets resolved in the book. I I think that is a good point, Angelina. If we were talking about this pre-Ruin and Rising, or even pre-King of Scars duology, since we haven't met his dad at that point, but it, it feels resolved. Maybe you could come up with some conspiracy theories about his demon half. Hmm. Yes. Okay, we'll do that. (laughs) We'll do that. (laughs) So fun fact, Nikolai, means victory of the people, which feels extremely apropos. It turns out he's not really a Lansov. Of course, he's still feared in nobility, whatever, but he really feels like the people's king in a way. I was thinking about how Alexander means defender of Mm. men. And the defender of men versus victory of the people. Mm-hmm. There is kind of that dichotomy set up that I thought was pretty neat. One of the quotes that Nikolai uses to introduce himself when someone, when, what is it? Alina mentions he's not bad looking. He jumps in and says, not bad looking. He's damnably handsome, brave in battle, smart as a whip, an excellent dancer. Oh, and an even better shot. <laughs> It's very apropos that Nikolai, we usually feature a lot of his quotes in the uh, quotation section of our podcast, and he can describe himself as well. Yeah. I was thinking about his comment about the Darkling in King of Scars, that he's funny. I forgot how funny he is. (laughs) So who is Nikolai, before we get too far into it? He is the king's second son. Or is he? The spare in the air in the spare situation. There are, as I just implied, some rumors and doubts about his paternity. But for the most part, he kind of enjoys this position of a prince in the royal family. He's really kind of 
high energy, has a lot of trouble sitting still. He not only serves as the prince, he serves Ravka extra legally, I guess you would say, as Sturmhund, the privateer. It's his secret identity and how he helps helps Ravka on the seas abroad. Is a bit of a tinkerer, an inventor. He's coming up with these cool contraptions to help in the war efforts. It's kind of fun to see him get his nerd on along with the fabricators. He invents airplanes. Like, yes. He invents flight. It's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. As much as like David is this, you know, genius who invents all these things, it's I think it's kind of refreshing to see Nikolai also contribute things that are kind of on a bigger level. Like I think Nikolai tends to be like kind of this creative genius, whereas David is like a scientific genius, but Nikolai is like the ideas man and David sort of He's helps things come to fruition. Yes, a dreamer, exactly. He is very handsome, not only in his own estimation, he is smart and brave. And honestly, like the whole royal family seems like a bunch of duds for the most part. (laughs) They're not extraordinary speakers. They're not extraordinarily brave. They're not, you know, very handsome or beautiful. But Nikolai is like just everything you could really want in the concept of a royal. And that is not to say that he is flawless, but he happens to be very self-aware of his flaws and covers them up with a lot of charm and jokes. And then, of course, his perhaps his biggest flaw becomes the fact that he has a giant demon inside of him, which he can't control. Speaking of flaws, uh, perhaps not the demon one. Do you guys have any opinions on that? Do you agree that he is a little bit of a flawed character and what his biggest faults might be? I mean, one thing that comes to mind is that he's really a chameleon. So at least until the last duology, I feel like it's really hard to know who he really is, what his personality really is, until we get his perspective chapters almost. Like even Alina at some point is like, oh, I just see him, you know, switching between like this arrogant prince to this, you know, privateer. And like he just keeps changing personalities depending on who he's around, which I would say leads to maybe the second flaw that I really noticed, which is he has almost like a pathological need to be liked. And I say this as someone who considers himself pretty much an extreme people pleaser. He takes it to the next level. Yeah, fully agree with you. He does wear a lot of masks for whatever the situation calls for. I think he knows the part he has to play to get the best results. But, you know, I think that and that is admirable in some ways, but the downside is it's very hard for people to get to know the real you. And I think when they're trying, it feels like you're keeping them at a distance and you're being maybe disingenuous, which Mm -hmm. may have been one of the real connection killers in the Alina Nikolai potential romance. Yeah. I think he's just deeply insecure, so much of which stems from his doubted paternity and legitimacy as prince and king. And I think it's a really good point that he keeps all these identities and he really sheds them. And I thought it was so interesting when suddenly he needed to stop being Sturmhund and needed to be someone else. He just gave Sturmhund's coat to some other person was like, okay, now you go be Sturmhund while I'm (laughs) off doing this other thing. Like it's really something he can take off as easily as a coat. And then we see in the last book, in Rule of Wolves, we see him do that with being king. 
it's not, you know, he doesn't yeah. shed it as easily as a coat. It's clearly much more of a big deal. But even ruler of Ravka and the person who can help Ravka is something he was able to take off and then find a different identity. Shadow ruler of Ravka. <laughs> Shadow <laughs> Consort to the ruler of Ravka, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think it does come down to what Kat was just talking about, his intense desire to please people. I think we sort of see when he get his backstory, which I find so fascinating and so compelling. But he, at the beginning, like is insanely motivated to please his family. And he finds that, and particularly his brother, and he finds that no matter what he does, he cannot please them. And he manages to sort of shift that need to please his family to please the people of his country. And so I think like for all these roles, he doesn't necessarily get pleasure in the bravado of like being, you know, Stormhund the privateer or being this like prince who lives in luxury. Like he's really just driven by the end goal at all points. And so it's very easy for him to switch and shed the trappings of any identity because at the end of the day, he's just doing it for the people in, in like a much more believable way than the dark. Would race. you say that he just wants to be loved by Ravka? Mm, you stepped on wow. my joke, cat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, I think he does just want to be loved by Ravka and... <laughs> I think he proves it. Whereas like when the Darkling says that, I'm like, come on, buddy. I don't think that's true. Yeah. He like heard Nikolai say it once and was like, oh, this is my mission in life too. (laughs) I love that. It's so funny to think back, Anjali, on the first conversations we had about the original trilogy because we've come so far since those days when we would go on a walk and I would rant about the Grishaverse and you'd try to rein me in a little bit. And... I remember you saying that in Ruin and Rising, when the Darkling turned Nikolai into a demon, you gasped and you were horrified and you were like, not Nikolai. I only remember this because we had the conversation. I remember this conversation, but I remember not having that reaction. I don't remember this conversation, much less that reaction, but I'm so glad you're here to remember it for me. That sounds very plausible. Yeah. So let's assume this all happened where you had that reaction and I didn't. I really liked Nikolai in the original trilogy. I thought he was a great character, but I think that If I knew him as well as I knew him at the end of all of these books back then, I would have felt pretty differently about him being turned into a monster. I think I I would have gasped. Now looking back on it, I'm surprised that I didn't. But at the time, I did not. Yeah, I I stand by my reaction. I, you know, Nikolai is, is so pure in some ways. It seems so cruel to do this to him. And it is kind of upsetting to me that... In the second duology, which is essentially about now Nikolai fighting his literal inner demon, he cannot improve himself out of the situation. He cannot joke himself out of the situation. He cannot, like, by force of will, overcome this demon. He couldn't invent his way around it. He cannot invent his way out of it. He cannot charm himself out of the demon. And, you know, they do come to this detente seemingly at the end, but I'm still just so sad for Nikolai, like, his life is pretty irrevocably ruined in a lot of ways. And that bums me out still. He's such a pure soul. What's the meme application to this? 
men will turn themselves into a literal demon rather than go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) But Nikolai would have therapized himself. I believe that. (laughs) Men will turn someone else into a literal demon rather than go to therapy. (laughs) At some point, Nikolai says to Alina, I can do more for Ravka as Sturmhund, basically, than being a prince in line to the throne. And I'm curious, what do you two think of this? Do you think he's right? Or do you think it's just a justification to kind of run off, do fun things, take this training that he's had in other countries and use it for good? I think it is both a justification and, as we see later in Siege and Storm also, that he can do a lot more as Sturmhund than as the second son and not the one in line for the throne. We see how Vasily undermines the work that he's done and ends up then letting the Darkling in and, of course, being murdered. Not that I'm blaming him for being murdered. It's not like victim Victim shaming. He did make some bad decisions that led to a lot of people being killed, including himself. And Nikolai, he's relatively powerless when he's back with his family. And he develops his own sort of kingdom on the seas, brutally feeding people's fingers to the dogs and whatnot. But, you know, he really has created a place where he can help Ravka there. I think that is true, because I just think even as, you know, when we see him as king, I think his hands are tied in a lot of ways by bureaucracy and formality. I think you'd also see it as a justification. Like he is really antsy. He is really fidgety. He always wants to be doing. So he prefers that sort of active form of working for his country as opposed to the sort of behind the desk form of the country. So I think it's something he wants to do. I think it's probably a little bit of both. One thing I do want to call out quickly as we're talking about Nikolai in the original trilogy is that it's interesting that we don't see him in the first book, right? We meet him kind of very quickly in the second book. And so he was not in the Netflix season one Shadow and Bone show. Mm-hmm. So we have not seen him yet. And according to the internet, he's now been cast for season two. And, you know, we're going to see him in season two, which makes sense. But we're not really deep into the casting rumors and stuff on this podcast. So we're not going to cover him in the show. Mm -hmm. I will say one thing that I was thinking about. What do I want to see from him on the show? And he's such a fantastic character. And he's so funny, as we've been talking about. He's very witty. And I think especially looking at other characters who we thought were funny in the books, like Alina, and how their humor was different in season one of the Netflix show. That's one of the things that I'm really curious to see if they sort of change his humor in the way where I felt like they changed Alina. She was more... I felt like her jokes were almost more hopeful rather than having any real like kind of bite behind them. So mainly I just, I want Nikolai to be hilarious. Yes. Well, I'm going to optimistically think of Jesper's transformation from Mm. page to screen and how his charisma and went up about a thousandfold. So oh, yeah. let's hope they can imbue some of the same personableness in Nikolai Lantzoff of the small screen. Yeah, I guess it's also a good point with Jesper. Do we really need Nikolai to be that funny? <laughs> We've got Jesper. Like, what else do we need? Well, yeah, you know, I one mean- thing I'm really looking forward to seeing on the TV show, besides just Nikolai's face, I think you two can guess, it's his <laughs> couturement, the Lantzoff Emerald. <laughs> I 
I am so excited to see you see it. <laughs> and <laughs> I I don't think we should expect to see it this season. Yes, it didn't actually show up in the books till Ruin and Rising mm-hmm. when he proposes. Yeah, maybe Kaz will try to steal it. <laughs> I can definitely <laughs> see that. Yeah. His eyes just light up when it comes out. So, Similar to Anjali's. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of Alina and that, you know, proposal, that relationship, one of the things whenever I think about Alina and Nikolai and, you know, the internet ship wars and who should she have ended up with and, you know, whatever, I love Nikolai and I thought that Bardugo did a really good job as she wrote them as great friends. Like I friendship them really hard and when I was reading it they seemed to have no romantic chemistry whatsoever and I thought she did just a really excellent job of that because I think if if I had felt like they had romantic chemistry I would have been like oh yeah like that's a pretty obvious choice (laughs) you're you're gonna want to go with him but absent that right it makes it much much harder she's getting different things from kind of each of those three potential love interests Well, I think what's interesting, JJ, is she actually, he proposes to her way before they're friends. Like the first time he brings up, come back as the queen, as my queen. It was so early on. It was such like a random proposal to me that I'm curious what you two thought of that proposal scene and how it went down. To me, it wasn't clear if he was just trying to piss off Mal or he was like, okay, I'm going to start incepting her with this idea and then I'll work on becoming her friend and warm her up to this idea he mentions this idea of mal being the captain of her guard and it being a marriage in name only it's just like a very weird not good feeling like kind of icky proposal yeah then i would say it's the opposite of the proposal i actually remember right where he is using a lot of bravado and and charm and being kind of arrogant as opposed to the uh, second more memorable proposal where he is you know very stripped bare he kind of continues that initial proposal, right? The like kissing Alina in their oh, like, yeah. tour of parts of Ravka or as they're traveling. And she's like, what the heck? And he's like, oh, come yeah. on. We see behavior from Nikolai throughout the original trilogy that is dubious at best, I would say. We see him as Sturmhund chopping off someone's fingers and feeding them to a dog. We see him kissing Alina without her consent. But then in Ruin and Rising... He's forced to deal with the fact that his father, the king, repeatedly raped Genya. And he deals with it. It seems to be exhausting to him, but he does not really seem unclear as to what has to happen. He says his dad needs to abdicate and needs to exile, essentially. The king, I guess, not technically his father, as they tell him at that point. I I don't really know what my point was here, but it did feel very revealing of him. In a way, it kind of forced him to be honest or vulnerable in, in a way to deal with his to deal with his family like that and to treat the situation as seriously as he did. I mean... Not to be, like, the Nikolai hater on this show, it was also very self-serving for him to exile his father, or, sorry, to exile the king, so he could step in at that point, too. That's true. It's true. Like, did he think it was the right thing to do? Probably. 
But was he also like playing chess in his mind of like, how do I get my father out of the way? Wow, this perfect piece just fell in my lap. That's probably a terrible analogy for chess. But wow, this perfect (laughs) play just fell right in my lap. He absolutely takes advantage of it. And nobody questions him about it. Nobody's like, oh, was that like really the right call? Right? They are like, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Now you're the king. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I think everyone's just so distracted by David's little speech at that point where he steps mm-hmm. in and tells Jenya that, you know, all that for show, she's made of sterner stuff or whatever that is. Do we want to talk about much about the first duology? It's a pretty minor role, but he does come in. Okay, but let's talk about Nikolai shows up and how, you know, as adept as he is wearing these complex uh, long-term disguises he can't fool Kaz but he does fool Nina which is funny because she like serves him and his (laughs) Robkin is it a testament to Kaz or is it an insult to Nina's uh, intellect maybe both (laughs) yeah Nina who understands tailoring by the way Yeah, you know, I think I mentioned it before. When it happened, I was so disappointed Kaz saw through the Sturmhund disguise because at that point I was so much more invested in the Triumvirate than I was in Kaz, who was a relatively Mm -hmm. new character for me. And it's one of the things where I think that because Six of Crows was essentially Kaz's series... He saw through Sturmhund, but had it been anyone else's, he would not have. Um, And certainly, had they met for the first time in King of Scars, he would not have. JJ, do you consider this the equivalent of, in the show, Kaz somehow beating the Darkling in their alley confrontation? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Which one is worse? I mean, definitely the show. I love that, Anjali. I think that's a great parallel where... Honestly, they both annoyed me, both scenes, the one in the show and this one in the book. I was just like, okay, how, come on, that he was following them around as this like beggar and they weren't like, oh, that's weird. You know, like it, ah, that scene, it still just annoys yeah, me. Yeah, it, it just seems to be the same trick of building one character up by pulling another yeah. one down and making them seem right. more stupid. Right. All right. So the second duology. The King of Scars duology, which as we've discussed, really should it be called the King of Scars or should it be Zoya, like, you know, Queen of Dragons? So yeah, we get to see inside his head for the first time in the King of Scars duology, which is thrilling. I don't mind living it inside Nikolai's head (laughs) at all. He's hilarious in scenes outside of his head and he's great in scenes inside of his head and we also get to see a lot more of that vulnerability that is covered up when he is exchanging banter and being charming and putting on different disguises yeah one thing you mentioned earlier is that he's a very insecure character now that we can see into his head what would you say are his biggest insecurities his paternity He technically does not deserve, by the rules of the monarchy, the position that he has. And then I think there's, does he deserve it by the rules? And does he deserve Mm -hmm. it morally or ethically? Mm -hmm. And he wants to be loved by Ravka, I think, as a way to know that what he's doing is the right thing, you know, and that ethically that this is, you know, correct and worth it, even if technically, legally, he should not be king. I think that's his number one biggest insecurity. Well, that and, you know, turning into a monster uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. 
where does Zoya go at night? It seems to <laughs> occupy a lot of his brain. So yeah, so it does. It so, really does. So much of this series is Nikolai trying to find a wife, mm-hmm. even though Zoya is right in front of him. Fighting And they don't get married at the end. And they don't get married at the end. Yeah. No need anymore. Fighting so many wars, confronting his inner demon, and you know, at least in the end figuring out how to live alongside it or control it acceptably. And then he ends up giving up the throne mm-hmm. and installing Zoya in his place. That is a lot for two books. And he's yeah. not, you know, he's not even the only point of, if he were the only point of view character, fine. But this right. is like, these are just his major things that he handles. Well, let's talk a little bit about him giving up the throne at the end. Do you think that's realistic, given the Nikolai that we've gotten to know throughout the rest of the books and series? Did you see that happening? Reading the series, I can see it. And I think the author, you know, sets it up pretty well. But I think you are bringing to mind a lot more of Nikolai's ambition and kind of his like political savvy and cutthroatness, which was apparent in the first trilogy. And I think, you know, based on that alone, it is shocking. I I can't see that Nikolai, who is already plotting, you know, proposing to Alita to be his queen while he's still the prince. And, you know, he's already thinking of how he's going to get through his father and his brother to claim this title as so easily abdicating. On the other hand, I do think a lot of what happened with Demon Nikolai, where he is terrified that he's going to, you know, kill someone, that everyone's going to find out about it. I can see it being a relief that he can sort of give up this like position where he has to be absolutely perfect and it could all come, you know, falling down around him at any second. Yeah, I think by the time he gives up the throne, he has fought for it incredibly hard and I think just realizes he's not going to be able to hold on to it. Even if he came out of that specific meeting still king, that it would just be... I think wars that would just continually drain Ravka and him just for years until he was killed or someone else, you know, took over the throne. And I think he doesn't know he's going to do it until soon before he does it. But at the end of the book, I think we really see him be the happiest he ever is in the series any of the series, right? He's tinkering, he's inventing, he's still sometimes Sturmhund. All of these things that he's doing that he loves doing, he's, you know, in love with Zoya and like making her blueprints and able to finally do the things he wants without having to plan three steps ahead. I really loved that for him at the end of the book. I was so happy to see him happy. I had really wanted him to work through a lot of the trauma. I think there's still a lot for him to work through, but you know, to see him finally happy felt really good. Going back to my earlier question to you two about, is it true that he could do more good as Sturmhund than as a prince? I think it's entirely possible he, during his short-lived reign as king, he decided that whether or not that it's actually true that he could do more good as Stormhead, that he would rather be a private citizen doing what he can, tinkering, you know, brokering deals, traveling, using his Stormhead disguise, do that, then be the actual sitting in the throne king. And to me, that's part of the reason why he did it. You mentioned him being the happiest he's ever been by the end of the series. Would you say Zoya was? Is Zoya ever happy? Yeah, have we ever seen Zoya happy? 
Well, what's that line? It's in Ruin and Rising, and someone says something about her being angry. She's like, if I were angry, you'd need a big hanky. And it's like, to dry my tears? And she goes, to stop the bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Do we? I mean, Zoya seems definitely... Like, does he take advantage of... Does he take the opportunity to gain his own happiness at the cost of hers? She never seemed that happy as a general to me. Like yeah. She's constantly worrying about everything, stressed nonstop, mourning her friends in her secret little greenhouse. Like, why would she be happier as the ruler, both in name and, you know, behind the scenes? She doesn't seem less happy as queen. <laughs> I think that's the journey that she is going to go on. And maybe that's why this isn't Zoya's duology. Like, maybe mm-hmm. this is why it's Nikolai's, because his arc kind of ends here, and Zoya is still very much learning, right? right? The empathy and how to open the door exactly opening that door (laughs) that's a good point maybe the you know if there are future books in the universe that have been kind of hinted at in the end zoya will still play a primary role so then the question that we always ask about everyone in a leadership role in the grishaverse which is are they actually a good leader is nikolai a good leader i feel like nikolai is the only good leader perhaps in this entire series i think he cares about people but I think more importantly, he makes them feel cared about, which is, you know, not something you could say of, say, Zoya. He's able to charm anyone. He just knows his audience and what he needs to say and what he needs to do to inspire people and to get them to work with him. You know, and I think that's how he was really easily able to exile his dad, I think, both because his dad was not a good leader or his uh, reputed dad, sorry. And that I think the revolution, everyone fighting for Ravka wouldn't have followed the old king. Like they were already all behind Nikolai. He had already created that base. I think it's hard for me to tease this apart because the books clearly set him up as the best leader, like Anjali was saying. Every time one of the other characters thinks about him, they talk about him as a good leader. Alina talks about how she's learned all these useful tactics from him. Yeah, it's hard for me to say. I actually don't know. Is he a good leader? He's like constantly changing his, you know, face to everyone he talks to or interacts with, but maybe that's just effective leadership. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a planner and his plans pan out. So, you know, I think we see the Darkling having a reputation for being a planner, but often his plans do not pan out so well, or he, you know, fails to account for the things he should. But even I think like, you know, the Nikolai and Count Kurigan. His cover in the books for his weapon space. Yeah, so it was his a, romance. Yeah, his the 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 person who I really think should have ended up with Zoya, or <laughs> who really thinks he should have ended up with Zoya at least. That was this really far sighted. He came up with that cover a long time ago and was like, "I'm gonna find a use for this. Do this for now, and I'll figure out how to use you later." I think Kaz also in terms of like leadership styles, although I think of Kaz's leadership style very differently, but his plans also work out, typically, unless they famously blow up in his face. (laughs) Kaz's plans are more like a house of cards, though. Mm -hmm. They seem to work improbably, and he definitely uh, has no sense of transparency, I would say. I was just thinking of that scene, though, in Siege and Storm, where he takes them into the fold just to go practice hunting Volcra. 
That seemed like a purely bad move to me, regardless of the Alina Darkling Tether situation that completely throws her off guard, but to needlessly take a little detour into the fold, hunt Volcra, put everyone in danger. Is that good leadership or is that just like pure risky, wanted to try, like loves to experiment behavior? Yeah, I saw it as a bit of a, like, not risk averse enough, like a little arrogant. You mentioned Kerrigan too, by the way. I don't know if either of you had this impression when you were reading the books for the first time. I thought it was going to be another Nikolai alias when they were talking about it. I was like, oh, he's set up another, like, persona for him to do what he needs to do and take care of business. I was shocked when it was a real person. (laughs) I don't remember having that impression, but that's brilliant. Should we get into the relationship stuff? Yeah. Are there any other burning questions? I definitely, I will say when I read that scene where he shows Zoya and the demon is like stroking Zoya's face and then taking her ribbon out of the hair, I'm like, are they about to have a threesome like with <laughs> like Nikolai and Zoya and this demon? And I was like, is there, where exactly is this going and is that something zoya would be into there's got to be fanfic (laughs) written about this right (laughs) yeah i hope there i i meant to check before this because there was not at the time that i had that thought because it was the day the book came out or something but yeah we should check because there is definitely a fanfic in there for sure so nikolai has relationships with people other than the ones we've mentioned. And there are some that are worth just calling out from either the original trilogy or some other places. And because we are who we are, I just think we need to first call out Bagra. Bagra and Nikolai's (laughs) relationship is purely delightful. She seems to really like him and they banter incessantly and it's just incredible and this is yet another one of those things that i think gives us the feeling that bagra has this potential for you know her own sort of arc that we don't actually get to see but that was just such a delightful relationship in the middle of a lot of war and everyone getting murdered yeah you know when i first saw the interactions i was a little surprised like i didn't really see it coming But then looking back on it, I'm like, it makes so much sense. If Nikolai is as charming as everyone says he is, then he can charm Bagra just as easily as he can charm, you know, Mal or Tolia or Tamar, you know, it's no problem to him. She's also, I think, such a serious character. Like, she doesn't really make jokes herself, but she's a great, I think, what you would call the term is like a straight man to his comedic effect. And so that dynamic works really well. Oh, let's also not forget that he sees through Bagra's disguise and realizes that she is the Darkling's mom. That seemed surprising to me. Also. And they pretty much gloss over that. They're like, oh yeah, I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> How did he figure out? We don't know when. No idea, but... It was like she just wanted all the characters to catch up and be on the same page in terms of context. So we're just going <laughs> to quickly scoot that in there that he knows everything. He knows the Darkling's ancient. What were your other favorite relationships that you saw, you know, between Nikolai and other characters throughout the series? Well, we touched briefly on it, but Nikolai and David in the second mm-hmm. duology is just like really great to watch them work together and totally geek out together <laughs> and, you know, build off one another. I think that's so yeah, pretty pleasing. Done. Yeah. Any favorites, essentially? Maybe the brothers, Vasily and Nikolai? No. <laughs> no. Um, I was actually going to say I really enjoyed 
his relationship with Isaac. I think getting that point of view really cemented, you know, so much of Nikolai's character. I know you talked a lot about how everyone says Nikolai is a good leader, but I feel like in the story with Isaac, we really get to see how Nikolai is a good leader because I don't think Isaac is necessarily you know, up into a point important in and of itself. I feel like Nikolai's probably met hundreds, if not thousands of Isaacs in his lifetime. And he just really goes out of his way to make people feel special or find out about people and realize like what he needs to do to both, you know, take care of him, but make them loyal to Ravka and like make them, you know, feel that sense of loyalty to him and and the country. And I think the one that I would call out is Nikolai and the Darkling. They don't have too many interactions together, at least in the original trilogy. I think they do some few, but like someone else is already there or whatever in the second duology. But I think very similar to the Zoya Alina setup in the first trilogy, Nikolai is the foil to Alexander in that he's the person that all of Ravka loves. He has no Grisha power, but still like everyone prefers him. And I think the Darkling is jealous of him at some point because he thinks Alina might marry him. It's just like really interesting to see like the light version of the like, you know, male character because that's clearly not Mal versus the Darkling and how the Darkling reacts to that character being introduced and how people react to him. Yeah. And I think that's totally what we brought up at the very beginning of the episode about the meaning of their names, champion of the people versus defender of the people. I think that kind of rings through where Nikolai, you know, works to defend the people, but as their champion, he has their hearts, whereas the Darkling is like working to defend Ravka, but he's never going to be, you know, the people's champion. All he ever wanted was to be loved by Ravka. (laughs) And I mean, we see him outsmart the Darkling mm-hmm. at the ver- in the very beginning of the second book in the original trilogy, where he's disguised as Stormhunt, Darkling doesn't see through it, he quote-unquote betrays him. I think there's a great line where he's like, it's not mutiny if it's your own ship, which I enjoyed. <laughs> but then, you know, at the end of the trilogy, and then, of course, his big struggles in the second duology are that the Darkling brands him with his own Mirzos to give him a demon of his own. He gives him basically part of himself. So again, I think it's this like these two very parallel characters and there's probably way more in that dynamic that we could explore or get into, but it just feels like a, ooh, there's definitely something happening here. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Why the Darkling chose to punish Nikolai like that is very telling. Right, right. He's like this, how do I punish him the most? They always talk about how the Darkling like mets out these punishments that he thinks are like the worst for that particular person for him it's to make him more like himself he thinks the people will no longer love him and yeah there's like again maybe i'm going way too deep into this but it feels like yeah and then to see nikolai turn it around find this you know quote unquote balance with the demon by the end like and nikolai never ends up hating the darkling the way that zoya you know really does no matter like he gave him this like literal demon to deal with. And he's not the one who's constantly advocating for killing him. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I think we talked about how Zoya hates the Darkling so much because she hates that part of herself that is yeah, like dark yeah. and feels unworthy. But Nikolai never, he never has that insecurity about himself. Yeah, well, I, I also think the line that the Darkling says when he turns Nikolai into a monster is interesting. He says, I have regretted many of the things I've had to do in this war. This is not one of them. Ooh, what and a petty guy. I know, it's the pettiest. Um, I mean, I also think, better for a Darkling episode, but it's interesting that he says he's regretted many of the things he's had to do. Um, and it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to try to make a list of those and why. But yeah, maybe sounds like the Darkling probably resents Nikolai, not only for, you know, having the love of the people, but... I would guess from his perspective, he sees Nikolai as only having to have made easy choices to get where he is, mm. whereas like he's had to do some things that, you know, he does regret or were evil, but he had to do them. And like he gets, you know, branded as this, you know, bad person, but Nikolai like never had to, you know, kill a village of his own people. <laughs> like. Like the Darkling literally takes out his father effectively through the, you know, Genya situation and kills Vasily for him. Mm-hmm. So Nikolai just gets to step into the throne without, like you said, making any hard decisions. Yeah. Are you two ready for some lightning round questions? <laughs> Am I yeah. ever ready for the lightning round? <laughs> we'll start with the easier one. What do you think of Nikolai as a character? Love him. Totally love him. Great character. I was Anything you don't like? Maybe harder question. I mean, I, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I didn't love that he had a literal demon in the second <laughs> series. I think it would have been really neat to see him wrestle with the metaphorical demons. But, you know, he pulled it off. Yeah, I love Nikolai. I think he's easily top three character for me. He is, his wit is so endearing. I didn't love his outcome in the book. I really hated that he could not get rid of the demon. I don't totally understand the detente he comes from the demon like I don't logistically understand how he's supposed to be spending his life but that's more hating the ending for him rather than you know not liking anything about him as a character it kind of felt to me the reason he kept the demon at the end and embraced it is similar to maybe some of what we talked about in like the Kaz episode where Lee Bardugo wants people to accept their own you know flaws and learn to live with them you can't just like magically get rid of everything that's like wrong with yourself Mm -hmm. I also was like, oh, this is a little borderline cliche for me. Yeah, I could see that if it aligned more with Nikolai's like actual flaws as a person or like represented Mm -hmm. something specific about him. But Mm -hmm. throughout the second duology, it really does seem like this foreign body that is not particularly representative. Like it's a literal inner demon, but I don't know metaphorically what it's supposed to say about him. I guess I was also wondering if we kept the demon in there because it would help him live longer so that he could spend more time with Zoya, that she wouldn't immediately outlive him in like 30 years or whatever. Mm. I don't know how long people live in this universe if they're not Grisha, but... I could see that. That was one of the assumptions I had. It's like, you need magic to live longer. Yeah, if there's payoff in a future series, then I am tentatively for it. Oh, but then what if Zoya killing the Darkling kills Nikolai? Oh, jeez. Okay. Don't say that. Dark, and I'm here for it. (laughs) Hit us with the Kiss, Mary Kill cat. Cool. All right, so your choices this week are Nikolai, Tolia, and Fedior. (laughs) 
What a <laughs> random assortment of people. So marrying Tolia would be awful unless you were really into the same sort of poetry he was into. Because mm. I feel like you're going to just, that's going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a, a marriage of one specific type of poetry. It's funny, I feel like I'm very easily convinced as you're saying this, because I think Tolia would have been one of my top contenders. But now I'm like, oh, maybe he is great for the kiss. Like, one night of passion and poetry, and then you move on. Great. Aren't Tolia's poems kind of, like, mournful? <laughs> I don't know if they're yeah. really romance <laughs> poems. Yeah, also, my, my shoe is poor, so I'm not sure I'd understand them. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it turns out Shu is also maybe just Mandarin. So, <laughs> Also, my Mandarin is poor. I'm just going to leap in here. I would marry Nikolai because it, I love my partners to be funny. I want someone that can make me laugh every day. So um, easy choice. Uh, Anjali, you're missing the most important the thing we thought you'd that's say. That's not what I was expecting from you. Oh, yeah. Also, I'd love to wear the lens up emerald. <laughs> Great call, guys. I can't believe that's on my mind. I would... Yeah, I think Atolia's getting the axe here. Sorry, buddy. And Fedyar seems pleasant for... I, I just... I couldn't kill Fedyar. He's so cheery <laughs> and nice. I think I'm gonna have to agree. Well, so so I think there's a... there's a, Are we talking about book Fedyar, who's like barely a character? I specifically was talking about show Fedyar because I've forgotten everything about book Fedyar. Human ray of sunshine in the show. (laughs) And, you know, it makes me wonder. So my concern is if I marry Nikolai, Zoya is going to kill me like very fast. And so unless she chose you as the best marriage candidate. (laughs) Yeah. So assuming we're at the end of all these books. I'll go with marrying Fedor and we can just, you know, living with a human ray of sunshine and like being happy about everything. Seems, would I have to live with Ivan too? That's actually, well. He gets offed at some point. (laughs) Okay, assuming this is after Ivan gets killed, you know, human ray of sunshine may be slightly dampened, but I'll help revive his spirits and, you know, keep him in tea or whatever it is that he likes. And then let's just kiss Nikolai, because I don't think Zoya would begrudge that, really. I mean, she makes yeah. out with Mal constantly, pretty much. <laughs> and, yeah, and then kill Tolia. I don't know. I think it's possible I would marry Fedor or Tolia. I agree I'm not marrying Nikolai. I value my life. And I don't want to be randomly made queen without my consent either. Not great. I don't think Tolia is that bad. He seems, like, really... Like, I almost like borderline obsessed with Alina, so that's kind of problematic. Plus, you understand his shoe slash Mandarin poetry, so I think he's more <laughs> of a easy sell for you. That could make it worse if I understand <laughs> it. But yeah, I like Show Fedor a lot. Like Anjali said, he's like a little ray of sunshine and he's fun and interesting. I don't know. Maybe it could work. Not sure. He's not moody, so. <laughs> Maybe not my type, but maybe I need to expand my type more. <laughs> Can I throw on one last lightning question before you two? One last bonus question. Do you think Nikolai actually cared for Lena at some point? I was surprised, I think, by the second duology when he kind of reflects on proposing to her and her turning him down. I think he cared for her as friends very much and continues to. But I did not get romance vibes from either of them. I could see him caring for her. Maybe not in like a life-altering love type of way, but yeah, 
I believe he loved her a little. Yeah, I think so too. I think even though the first proposal that we talked about was random and weird, I think the second real proposal was heartfelt, like you said. And it's hard for me to imagine someone like, unless they're a complete psychopath, doing that without having some sort of like tenderness, at least for the other person. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us this week. I like that we keep saying week. <laughs> thanks for joining us for this installment. And if you guys have any feedback, questions, ideas for us, please drop us a line at Crow Merchandise Club Pod ideas? or Merchandise Ideas please drop us a line at crowclubpod at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>